Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories and poetry by a variety of authors. Today we're reading two collections of poems. The first set are by Brandon Shane. Brandon Shane is a Japanese-American alumni of California State University, Long Beach, where he majored in English. He's pursuing an MFA while working as a writing instructor and substitute teacher. You can see his work in Acropolis Journal, Grim and Gilded, All Existing Magazine, Bitterleaf Books, Salmon Creek Journal, Barbar Literary Magazine, and Discretionary Love, among others. Find him on Twitter at Rui Shane Writes. Before the Madness On a dewy morning, a chirping bird is perched atop an unblemished branch, a lively forest untouched for centuries, hearing a gurgling machine breaking through the thick fog on the horizon for the first time. It gazes beyond the reinforced steel, further than the helmet heads bearing rifles, and gave a soliloquy for even the daffodils, as tracks dug scars into the mud. Dawn, and there was little left but craters under a once blue sky, now but powdered shells. Natural gardens replaced by empty canteens. The chirping bird was shocked into silence as it awoke in a desert bereft of life. Summer Grime Mud, worms and a handful of daffodils, dangerously close to the river. Always on the edge, deep breaths. No responsibilities. My mother with calloused hands. Everything in moderation. Lightning strikes in heatwave malaise. Father visits on the weekend. Mechanics with their greasy fingers, electrical wires hanging down the shower. A little bit of love to eat for dinner. Radio static. My father worked for fifty years, retired after making his company millions in profits, and then developed an aggressive form of lung cancer he could not afford to treat. I watched this blue-collar worker take his last breath in hospice as madmen on the wall-mounted television raged on a 24-hour news cycle, proselytising the evil of universal health care to a prime member of their target audience who could not pay for a single round of chemotherapy and would rather die than indebt his family. How deafening the absence. The nomads... It always looked best before we moved. Drywall dented by clenched fists were filled. Shattered glass from thrown cups in landfills. Trash no longer littered our halls. Father was too busy to beat us into silence. Mother had enough time to read thrift store novels. Life was good. Until we found another home to ruin. I made best friends with the calendar. We'd move once every year, sometimes two. Father was some military bigwig and had places to be. That was until my little sister died at the age of three. Those years became a long blur, smudged with dial tones. Mother would spend days staring out the window. Pain had sentenced her to muteness. Father was diagnosed with insomnia and took retirement. Violence had been siphoned from him. Not even a raised tone. 
At the funeral, he would sob enough to make up for his stoic life. Mother sobbed too, but for both her daughter and her husband. We moved into a national park and became our very own exhibit. They'd spend the next ten years looking at birds. They still are. Childhood Reunion Everyone is here. Your father, who bought a train ticket and never returned home. Your mother, who volunteered tirelessly at the pound, and still does. The bully from elementary school who stole your chocolate milk at lunch. That boy, Derek, who went to juvenile hall before middle school, but was always nice to you. Valerie, who you wanted to marry, even though you didn't know what marriage was. The notebook filled with your darkest secrets that was lost and never found. Jimmy's by the handball court. You two were best friends for a year. Veronica, who saw you as more than a friend when you didn't, and when you finally reciprocated feelings, she'd already moved on. Jade, the enormously talented girl across town, who died in a catastrophic accident. You think about her all the time. Max, the dog your older siblings are sensitive about, but you're too young to remember. Your stepdad is here. He loves your mum, and that's good enough. The clique that smoked cigarettes and drank beer behind the bleachers. The person you could have become if you just stayed on that sports team. The teacher who could have changed your life for the better, but called you a loser instead. They're all here with you now. They'll always be. Someone else. Somewhere else. The door is open. Come on in. Our second collection of poems are by R.J. Evans. R.J. Evans is the author of Overtipping the Ferryman, The Holy Both, and Imagine Sisyphus Happy. His albums of original songs, Sweet Old Life and Kid Yesterday, Calling Tomorrow Man, are available on most streaming platforms. Eve keeps the apple for herself. First, the serpent whispered, Eat and know what God knows. Then it shook loose the low-hanging fruit. It landed in Eve's outstretched hand with a satisfying plop. Not knowing why, she rubbed the apple vigorously against the bare skin of her forearm, which tingled pleasantly. The tingling spread. Oh, Eve said, sleeves. One day there will be sleeves. She gazed into the apple's shine and saw a beautiful woman staring back at her redly. The woman looked hungry. I'm hungry, Eve thought, and brought the apple to her lips. Kiss, she thought. One day there will be kiss. She bit into the fruit, and the garden filled with sound. Singing, she thought. Suddenly there's singing. She swallowed, and her eyes followed the path of the bite she'd taken. Down, down, down.
she marvelled at the tapered thatch of hair between her legs. It seemed to point towards the ground. Never noticed that before, she thought. A squared plus B squared equals C squared, she thought. But she didn't know what she meant. Howdy! Adam startled her when she saw him standing between a lion and a wildebeest, the same blank look on all their faces. She hid the bitten apple behind her back. What you got? Adam said. Nothing, Eve answered. Okay, he said. I'm just walking these two dogs. Then he walked away, lion on the left, wildebeest on the right. Eve wandered the garden till nightfall, savouring bites of the apple, making it last, renaming all the animals Adam had gotten wrong. Later, the apple gone, Eve lay next to Adam, as something strange uncoiled inside her head. Thinking, she thought. This is called thinking. Look, Adam said, pointing at his penis. Porcupine, he said. Eve studied the stars. E equals mc squared, Eve's thinking said. Go to sleep, dear, she said to Adam, and cover that thing up. God knows no one wants to see it. Shopping at the International House of Gratitude I wander the big box aisles and wonder, why didn't I bring a list? I'll just run in for a few things, I told my honey, and she said, oh, don't forget to bring home. <sighs> ah, It's on the tip of my tongue. A tip that grows more crowded every day. I push my empty cart past life and love. One wheel goes wonky in the health and wellness aisle. So many brand names. Milo Plenty. Pensionos, insured, still kicking. I head for the generic aisle, where it's all spelled out in black and white. Breath, mind, body, soul. My impulse says take one of each, but I remember I'm on a budget, so I grab one item, hit the express checkout, and head home to my honey, almost empty-handed. Nothing but hope for us to share. Cain stumbles on step eight. I bear the mark that bears my name. People ask to see it, and I have to disappoint them. It's not on my skin, it is my skin, and the weight of memory that holds me in its cage. Higher power. Let's call him what he is. God asked the question. Where is your brother? Though we already knew the answer. My higher power is passive-aggressive. Of course he's greater than myself. Of course I know what I did, and I know I'm the one who did it. But now? Amends? To whom? My brother? Amends won't raise him up, though my higher power could. But that's a debate for another testament. My parents? Please. They have amends enough of their own to make the planet spin. What amends could I make for recreating man in my own image? You want to see my mark? 
Look inside yourselves at the little black thing trembling in your deepest corner. Feed it, and it grows. Ignore it, and it feeds from within. The only amends I can make are to exist in the book and on the tongues of all who tell my story as a warning, but recognize the taste of blood in every word. I am Cain. My mark is my amends. What I bear, less curse than fame. Consider the lilies of the field that dwell with me here, east of Eden. They would cut down their own and lie to the ever-watching sun, as if words could be amends. As if wine, once spilled, could ever be bottled again. Storm warning. Our phones both blare the news as we just sat down to dinner. Tornado warning. Take cover now. We both looked out the window at the blackening horizon, wind kicking dust up from the fields. Oven fried chicken, as I recall. We each took another bite and pretended not to pray. No greening sky. No freight train roar. We finished our meal, then made the dishwasher orderly. As the angel of death, passed over and set its foot down elsewhere, in the middle and end of other lives. I remember that day, as we leave the therapist together, pale and shaken, but somehow still standing. We drive home, past sturdy homes, talk turning to the evening meal, as if the tears and recriminations of the past hour had happened to others, not us. All these houses, every window, potential daggers, every tree, a wrecking ball. Inheritance All our mothers leave us madness and love, fear and comfort, acts we aspire to and acts we avoid like curses. All our mothers leave us to the more of the world that threatens to devour us, as it threatened to devour them. All our mothers leave us lullabies and bruises, recipes sweet on the tongue, memories bitter as bad dreams. All our mothers leave us the secret names of storms, the touch of a hand within a hand we can feel even now, despite the distance. All our mothers leave us at the doorway of tomorrow, where only we can enter, from which we can never return. The sun, the rain, the wind coming down from the mountain. Midnight windows filigreed with frost. All our mothers leave us. Translation I give the poetry workshop abstractions. Solitude, rage, history. Tell them their brain will translate them into images, into the stuff of poems. Catherine sharp-eyed and feisty, despite the weight of years, despite the cane, says, 1939 to 1945, in response to war. No, I say, what did you see? The light in her eyes shines backwards, and she tells us she might cry. I see Ukraine. I see a school in rubble. I see a bomb. I see a little girl in the rubble. 
That little girl is me. Catherine translates war into an image. Now into then, life into death and into life again. Later in the parking lot, she jokes, There's a word in Ukrainian for what I am. Does it translate? I ask. Lazy person, she says. I think of what she's lifted, what she's carried, what she's left behind and what she's kept. Life is a lazy translation for lived, for the witness of memory, for poems conceived in history and born of solitude and rage. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with the goings-on here at Yorick Radio, then you can follow us on social media, sign up to our newsletter, check out our website, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. <laughs>